This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have got my favorite ex-Ritz Carlton employee, Barat Bangalore from Blue Ocean to talk to us about some of the cool stuff he's doing inside the insurance industry from a technology standpoint. And I met this guy just very, very briefly at the One City World Tour in Austin and found out that he's the guy that built the Raider for my good friend, Bradley Flowers. And so I'm interested in hearing more about what that process looks like and just sort of sharing his story a little bit so that everybody out there can hear what he's doing and how he may be able to help you. So before we get too cranked up, why don't you sort of give them the the backstory of of who you are and where you came from, and then we'll get into it. Perfect. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Truly appreciate you guys taking the time and the opportunity to get me on this podcast and speak about this. Um, background to your point, my favorite experience is all I, I grew up in Ritz-Carlton, so to speak, right out of grad school. It was a phenomenal experience from culture, from learnings, and it's a lot of who I am today is because of Ritz-Carlton. Um, spent you know, a good part of 10 years with them, moved on to Peninsula Hotels, all in finance, actually. So my background used to be in food and beverage. I used to be a restaurant manager and realized that I'm better, better with numbers then with uh, with guests, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. People say, "Get this guy out of here." Uh, <laughs> so and I says, "Okay, it's better." At least I know where I should be. Um, got into finance and never looked back. I enjoyed it. I I look at uh, and I, I numbers actually re you know sort of they they tell a story to me. Uh, and most important of all, uh, you know, finance helps organizations from a process perspective. Uh, help them uh, become better, make more money at the end of the day, in essence. And that's what I've honed on the last probably 25 years of my uh, my company cultures. And a couple of years ago, um, I was looking at um, the way work gets done. And I had uh, young college kids coming out of, uh, coming out into the workforce. And they would say, oh, my God, you know, I went to college and you want me to do this, in essence, a mind-numbing work. And I joked, hey, listen, pal. 25 years ago, I did it. Now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And of course, like my kids who don't even pick up laundry, uh, you know, I, they said, oh, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Of course, it was a joke with them. 
Um, and they got me thinking, saying this, you know, this new generation has grown up with technology from the iPhone on uh, right from the beginning. They aren't going to do mind-numbing work. And as, as uh, sort of leaders in the organization and companies, we need to help them uh, create a better workforce. Um, and so this came about where automation now actually can do significant portions of the work. As David uh, mentioned, the rate for, for uh, Bradley, that was about, you know, best case scenario, 20 minutes of work, just punching the same information in multiple sites that goes away. Worst case, half an hour, right? So give or take all that time, if you add it up across multiple people and across the time in a year, I think Bradley said about 27 days they get back, which is over about six working weeks back to them, you know, time back to them. That's just the tip of the iceberg if you think about it. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I believe it because, <laughs> I mean, you're describing something that I've done and sit there and, you know, go enter stuff in on multiple websites and it takes time. I mean, and then you got to go back. They're asking you for a piece of information that mm -hmm. maybe you don't have right in front of you and you got to go back and look for it. And so I get it. Right. And so that's what my joy is. And I, and I focus on having come from large organizations, I realized large organizations have billion dollar funds to actually put against this. But small and medium businesses do not have. And to me, I want to look at, you know, this, the, the foundation of this country was all about small and medium businesses. And I want to see how I want to help as much as possible. And that's how I got into this. Got, a, you know, got the opportunity to meet Bradley through another, I think, he's in, I think you're in Tampa, right, David? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, another insurance person who does bonds, um, Darren uh, Wormost, right, at Wormost. Yeah. And it's just been a fun experience for me. To, and, and honestly, having met you guys at the One City World Tour blew my mind away. It sort of gave me back so much joy to see small, sort of small and medium businesses and insurance agencies are the cutting edge of what is being done in this country. So I'm just uh, excited and, and sort of, you know, in a way, almost as a, yeah, really happy to be part of this process, party to a part of the help. So talk a little bit about your time at the Ritz Carlton, man. I mean, that has to that has to prepare you to conduct business in a way completely different than people who haven't been exposed to that culture. I mean, I, you know, I know you and I talked about it. Correct. And before everybody out there starts throwing stones at me and calls me bougie, there's a reason why I stay at the Ritz Carlton when I travel, man. I work mm -hmm. hard, right? It's not because Correct. I want to go there and stay the night. Right. Because I want to go there and have them spoil me rotten and take care of my every need, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm willing to pay for that. That's that's right. how we relax, right? And so Correct. I think mm -hmm. one of the things that, that about the Ritz specifically is an organization that really I respect and appreciate more than anything else is the fact they empower their employees to do the right thing. Correct. You know, I think that a lot of people in the insurance industry don't do a good job of that. You know, they, they may think they do, but in reality, they don't. And so talk a little bit about your time at the Ritz and how that prepared you as you launched your own company. Absolutely. So when I joined Ritz-Carlton uh, Ritz in 97, in essence, they've been, they were around from 1983. So it's been a little about 10, 12 years they've been you know, in the business. But they were always an upstart, though. They were going against the grain and actually getting the uh, the the foundation of quality and service across the country and across the world. So from a culture perspective, that focus on the end customer, in the sense the experience that they need to have, was, was paramount to everything. 
And all the resources in the organization actually was put against how do we make that guest stay exceptional, not just good, right? It was all about, okay, how do we make that an exceptional stay? And to your point, actually, that early on was decided that the front level people interacting with the, with the guest were the most, uh, what do you call, in control and had the most best ability to actually make that experience exceptional. And so even earlier on, I don't know if, you, I don't know if it's the same case now, the, fr the front level people had up to $2,000. You're talking about 1990s, right? This is you know good amount of money. It's not a man. At that time, they were paying probably $300 a night for a room stay, right? Huh. Even at that yeah. time, there was $2,000 were allocated, no questions asked, to make the guest stay exceptional. So that culture wow. and focus on staying on that experience really, you know, fundamentally shaped me and gave me sort of the that sort of laser focus on how that we can make a difference and how. That the joy that comes out of that customer stay uh, was fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the difference. I use the same example every time, man. If I just wanted to go to a hotel and stay the night, it's Correct. a lot cheaper for me to go to Motel Six, right? I mean, exactly. I can walk in, I can check in at the front desk, I can pay for my night, I can stay the night, I can check mm -hmm. out, and I can be on the road and leave. Right. Fundamentally, do the same thing at the Ritz. It's exactly mm -hmm. the same process. Correct. The difference is what happens when you're there, right? And so, you know, I like, like, I'm always have been a student of going above and beyond for customer mm -hmm. service, period. It goes back to my days when I was in the grocery business in retail. I mean, I just always, if I had a client that got upset or angry or we, we missed the mark, I did whatever I had to do to make right. sure that it was right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's one of the coolest parts about, um, you know, the Ritz. So the, the example is I remember a time when I stayed at the Ritz Carlton where I had had a couple of Coke zeros. I may even have told you this story. I'd mm -hmm. had a couple of Coke zeros. And so when housekeeping came in, they noticed that I had empty Coke zero cans in the trash. Mm -hmm. So when we came back up from the pool, I had six Coke zeros on ice waiting for me on my, on my table mm -hmm. by the TV when I got there. Yeah. Now, what did it really cost them? Three bucks, four bucks for a six pack of Coke zero. Yeah. But how many people have I told that story to? And how did that make me feel? And I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark. We get penny wise and pound foolish Amen. because we don't realize you could just spend a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you're going to, you're going to witness this when you're done. When, when we're done recording today and this podcast airs, you're going to get a package in the mail that has three unique, one of a kind gifts. You will be the only person in the entire world who has the three gifts that I send you to commemorate your time on the podcast. Why do I do that? Well, it's not because I necessarily always want to go out and spend a hundred dollars every time I have a guest mm -hmm. on the podcast, but I can tell you this, it's a whole lot easier for me to grow my audience. If people like you come onto my podcast as a guest, we give you this really cool gift for coming on. Mm -hmm. And then you go post it on social telling everybody what you got. That's how we've grown our entire podcast. So some people would look at that as being an operational or a customer service uh, portion of the budget. Whereas I look at it as marketing, man, it, mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's as much marketing as anything else. And I think that's something we all need to do a better job of. It's tough in the insurance industry because 
you know, the, the number one response most of the time when somebody has a complaint or they mention that service is deficient or whatever else, you know, the, the first thing is, well, let us just refund you your money. Let us give you your money back. Right. That's a, yeah, no, that's yeah. not it. Right. Yeah. That's not it. That's, that's not going to fix it. Like you're still going to have that bad taste in your mouth. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll give you an example. We stayed at the Ritz in Key Biscayne last Friday. I, that's how I wanted to kick my vacation off. And I was very, very disappointed in them. Horribly hmm. disappointed in them. No Coke Zeros? Well, no, it was worse than that. My wife is Catholic. In three different times, she asked the server to make sure that there was no meat in her dish because she's not supposed to eat meat on Fridays during Lent. And they brought her meal, and it was an outside cantina. The lighting was dim. And she asked the lady when she sat it in front of her, this is mine. I just want to make sure. Nope. It was my chili riano with chorizo in it, which is like the exact opposite of not having meat. It went, <laughs> right. And so that's the first problem. The second problem is I never got my meal. This is now. Yeah, this is in a Ritz, man. I never got my meal. And the guy never came back to offer us refills or to check on us or anything, in which case I would have been able to tell him. Right. I should have went to the Gaylord. And, and, and so I told, and, and so I, I sent a message to the general manager of the property as soon as I got back up to my room and I let him know. And I got an out of office on him and it said, you'll hear from my assistant. So I immediately hear from the assistant who said, we're just refunding your money. And I said, here's the problem with that. I don't want you refunding my money. I stayed here overnight. I used your facilities and while you may not perceive it this way, I find it offensive that you can put a price tag on the fact that my wife's religious beliefs were just thrown out the window because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Oh. There's not a price tag I'm willing to put on that. And you should never have approached me that way. And so I ended up paying for the room and I will never go back. I told them that I said, I will pay for my room, but I will not be back on your property. And you it was, it was, it was a really bad move. You know, the, the place we ate wasn't busy. There was like literally nobody in there. They were overstaffed. There was no reason that any of this should have happened. And right. I'm not somebody that's going to go on Yelp or Google reviews or anything like that and, and blast them about it. People make mistakes. I've always felt that way, but it's how people respond to and correct those mistakes is what I'm really looking at. And that's a lost art, man, in every business. You know, people. I, I remember a time back when I was in the grocery business where we screwed up mm -hmm. a lady's cake order for her kid's birthday. And she came in, she went to the bakery. My cake decorator spelled the name wrong because the person who took the order over the phone did not write it clearly. It was obvious that it was a mistake. I could see mm -hmm. the name going both ways, but this lady was absolutely irate. She was, what was the name? Huh? What was the name? It was an ethnic name. I, I don't remember exactly. Okay. It was like Laquisha or something like that. And Got it. It was EA instead of E or I, I don't remember, but it was so an honest mistake. It wasn't like it, the person's name wasn't like Mark. No, no, no. It was honest in the person's handwriting was sloppy. So it was pretty obvious that that's what was going on. So the lady came in and she complained and I said, listen, I don't understand. You know, you're, you're not even giving me the opportunity to fix this yet. What time's your party? It doesn't matter. The party's already ruined. I said, ma'am, I said, you're not answering my question. I said, when is the party? And so she told me when the party was. And I said, when is it? And she said, uh, she told me where it was. She told me when it was. It was like an hour off. It was like 45 minutes away. And I said, 
go get set up for the party. I'll have the cake there. And so we pulled the cake out. We iced it. We decorated it and all of that. And I got in my car and I drove it down. And not only did I take the cake, but I had refunded her money. I took the cake. I also took two half gallons of ice cream. I took, took two dozen balloons and I had my floral department make little gift bags for all the kids that were at the party. We did two dozen of those. And I showed up and the lady started crying. She couldn't believe that I actually went to that level to do that for her. And Amazing. the moral of the story is I gained two dozen clients that day. Right. I could have lost one, but I gained right. two dozen. Insurance people, that's how you need to be thinking. Exactly. No, amen to that, actually. And to your point, actually, surprisingly, that the, the team at Ritz called Key Biscayne has forgotten this. Part of the other culture, which is exactly what you said you did in the grocery, right? That's exactly, it's actually in sort of the, in the training manual for Ritz Carlton that it's okay to make, make mistakes, but recover from the mistakes because that they will never forget. Because if they had a perfect stay, people will forget the perfect stay because you met the expectations, right? As a right. Ritz Carlton, right? Even though it's exceptional. But when you recover from a mistake and actually could do exactly what you did in the grocery example, like you said, you gain significantly more than just meeting expectations. Absolutely. I wish you had told me, started with the uh, Ritzkal, this key biscuit example, because then I would switch and said, I completely kept quiet about Ritzkal and talked about my second <laughs> career at Peninsula. <laughs> no, but I just, I feel like, you know, from my perspective, it just goes to prove that not all entities are created equal, right? Not all Ritz Carlton's are the same, man. You're going to have, you're going to have some bad ones. And it's like, I told the guy when I sent the message, you know, I said, my problem here is the fact that you set the bar so high that when you miss it, right. you miss it. And we okay. expect perfection. You know, that's what I pay for. Well, if you were charged, if you were charging me $99 a night, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. So yeah, that's right. And I, I think people just always assume that it's about the money. They're like, oh, well, we'll give you your money back. But like you said, that getting a refund on, you know, on the cake or on the room or what what have you doesn't fix the, you know, the memory or the loss of the the experience that you were expecting. Like you can't just be like, okay, yeah, you don't have to pay for that. It's like, okay, well, that's all great, but this whole thing still sucked. Like, you know, that's and I think people get lost in that sometimes, especially these days about the money aspect of things. Correct. You're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Kyle, as you said, it's the memories. We are, you know, they're in the experience of creating, you know, memories and experiences. Really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about where you're headed now. I mean, I know Bradley used you for a Raider, but what other capabilities do you guys have? I mean, you're, you're a consultant first and foremost, right? So I imagine Correct. you have the ability to go in and talk to anybody about their operations and then overlay your recommendations for how to approach solving their problems with technology. Correct. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. And, you know, Bomar, my uh, joy is actually process efficiency. And automation is one tool in that uh, sort of the, the toolbox, so to speak. And my joy is actually helping small businesses grow, get the efficiencies that the larger corporations are taking granted for because they can throw money at it um, and then streamline their day-to-day -day processes. So this way they are on an equal footing against the big guys in essence. Um, so we actually do it for multiple industries actually. So I focus on accounting verticals, on human resources verticals. And now, you know, in, in the insurance side, you know, especially when I do with Darren at Vermos, his is a completely different process. He does bonds. And again, that is just punching in uh, you know, information to a, into a PDF 
and then extracting it and you know sending it to to the carriers. And he's a, you know he's been doing it for so long. He says it takes him eight minutes to do it, but you person may take 12, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. and then he does 10, 15 a day. So that's you know 10, 15 minutes times 12 times a day, which is significantly uh, valuable because as small businesses now you can assign almost you know give or take four or five hours a day to value added stuff or you know, talking to clients and just understanding where they are. Yeah. And Darren's the kind, you know, those kind of bonds specifically with the probate mm-hmm. probate bonds that he writes or something, you have to be able to do it in a streamlined fashion or you're not going to make any money. Correct. Exactly. Correct. And, and it's, it's, it's a commodity, right? So in this way, it gets him out of this business. So his value is not putting the data together. His value is building those relationships. Absolutely. So what do you, where do you think the insurance industry can improve? I mean, you've worked with a couple of different agencies solving problems now. What do you think the room for improvement is for the, the main street agents that are out there that are maybe a little technologically averse? Um, honestly, actually, I haven't come and you know, got introduced to the insurance uh, uh, space, especially the group of people you guys are hanging on with, right? We know Bradley's One City World Tour and your different uh, sort, of, uh, uh, sort of company. I have to say, I'm truly impressed on how from a uh, service level, you guys are at the same level as Ritz-Carlton that had you know, huge multi-million dollar budget. So the, the positive is copy your model in essence, right? Definitely they should do that, you know, between what you guys are doing, what Bradley is doing, what you know, sort of different you know, teams that you guys have in your group. On the technology side, I was actually kind of you know, surprised to see that there was so much fragmentation and uh, lack of cohesion in even just the data. So when we did the built the radar for Bradley, I was surprised the same question was asked six different ways for the six different uh, companies we work with. So there's, there isn't any, sta- and there's no value in that having, you know, the question, same question asked six different ways. So I think, you know, where if the larger carriers or the bigger companies don't make it easier for the smaller guys to get in, then start looking at how, you know, Companies such as us, or even just you know, technology is there to assist in the day-to-day uh, work. So this way, you can now focus and pivot to how you speak with clients. Because I think it was your one of your podcasts that I talked about. You know, the the price comment that comes up all the time with insurance, right? The first thing people, are, how much is it? Mm-hmm. By taking away this sort of uh, uh, price que- or the process question, I guess, right? Spending time in the processes, they can spend time on actually understanding the client, the client, understanding what their needs are, and being that better relationship person. So, in the end of the day, they can hold on to their clients. It's so, in essence, use technology to pivot away from process to be able to, you know, talk about basically not be a value proposition on on price. So you went from the hospitality industry to finance and, and, you know, now doing something a little bit different. What was the most eye-opening thing for you through that journey? Um, the biggest one is the dreams and the nightmares of being a startup. Uh, <laughs> being a, <laughs> uh, I tell you that, you know, having worked for larger corporations, you always had to do the team. You know, you, you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, what's happening because you were you were focused on your little piece of the puzzle, so to speak. And having now gone into the entrepreneurial route, I see what you guys face as small businesses where you have to wear multiple hats, understand sort of the complete picture, so to speak, and um, are 
almost from a, you know, if you look from a life's perspective, because you know, you the people you're employed there, they are dependent upon you for their livelihood. So there is the bigger responsibility rather than just giving a job, making sure that they are one, of course, gainfully employed in the long run. But second, also you're helping them grow and become, you know, good citizens in the in the workforce rather than just saying, here's a mind-numbing work, go out and do it. Uh, so that whole transition to be an entrepreneur has been the biggest challenge and uh, many sleepless nights, like this. Well, it's a whole lot easier when somebody else already has the framework built and all you have to do is execute, right? I mean, right. that's that's one of the things that I've I've dealt with over the course of my career. You know, I I was in the grocery industry, left, started a service company, grew it relatively quickly in the Birmingham, Alabama market, mm-hmm. and then realized very quickly I couldn't be both the good guy and the bad guy. My receivables got up, uh-huh. you know, bills started getting behind, didn't really have any formal training programs in place and all of this stuff. And it caused a lot of issues for me. You know, I ended up needing, I really needed to rein it back in. And that's when I left and went back into work in retail mm-hmm. for a few years. And then we eventually left and came into the insurance industry but, you know, when you go in and you work at a place that already has, you know, best in class processes, procedures, a training framework and all of that, right. it's a whole different animal than if you have nothing and you have to figure it out for yourself. Correct. You know, never never mind the fact you have to, you know, create formal policies and all of that. You have to identify what yeah, you it's need. Like where do you, yeah, where do you start? It's like, I mean, I can't think of something that would be more overwhelming than that. Right. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think that we we do a good job of it when we're dealing with our clients and our prospects. But when we have to look internally, it's a little different story because you're blind to it. Mm -hmm. Right. I could invite you over to my house for dinner and you're going to walk in and you're going to see every dirty corner in my house because it's new to you. It's fresh. I live there every day. I I start to walk past things. Our agencies are the same way, man. Correct. And, and so that to me is where the fun part is, right? I have a very, uh, especially, and this is my Ritz-Carlton training, by the way, that that looking at the corners, so to speak, you know, looking at, you know, if you see a Ritz-Carlton person walk by a building, right, they'll be, if they see a cabinet, they'll run their fingers on top of the cabinet to see if there's any dust. There's, you know, they see a counter, they'll run their fingers on the counter. There's no chewing gum stuck under there. Things, little things like that have become habit for me. Uh, and so that's where I was able to actually translate what I had learned, to the, which is the attention to detail and help people with the process. To your point, you know, people get into a routine and they don't realize they're saving, you know, they can save X number of minutes by every task that they do, which can then add up to, you know, days, if not weeks, by the end of the, you know, the timeline that they talk about. Um, and so that's where that's my fun part is, is to figure out, OK, how can I help these people use that skill set? And get them onto a level playing field uh, versus the larger corporations. That is where the, uh, I enjoy doing most. Yeah, I just I think that you probably have been spoiled a little bit because you actually have gotten to meet some of the more technology forward thinking agents early, mm-hmm. as opposed to going and trying to work with the average Main Street agency out there who may may or may not even have an agency management system, right? So oh, that's. Wow. The, that's the thing is, you know, I look at our industry by and large, our industry still out of 45,000 independent agencies across the mm-hmm. country, 
there's a really large amount that hasn't adopted the basic technology that I would think needed to be put in place before you ever ran a business, ran an agency. There's agencies that are still working off the spreadsheets that don't have agency management systems and Mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff like that, man. So it'll be, I, I think that the more that we have people on our podcast and we talk about things that other people are doing and all of that, it it opens up the opportunity for people to learn. I just, the insurance industry by and large is very, very, very slow to adapt. Very slow. And why do you see that? Do you think it's because of the, the people have been doing this for so long that they just have a comfort in doing it? I think that agents are cheap. I think that they can make a good living without having to spend money to do it. I think that uh, they would rather work hard than work smart. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to throw off on them, but if I can right. go pay somebody $5,000 to build a piece or, or optimize a piece of technology that I can easily show is going to save me a tremendous amount of time mm-hmm. over the course of the next one year, three year, five year. I'm going to make that investment every time. We don't look at it that way. We just look at it as, oh, I'll just make 20 more calls every day and I'll eventually sell more policies. They just sell their way out of it. They don't, people don't tend to look at it from an actual, you know, profit and loss statement standpoint. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not Mm -hmm. looking at efficiencies that they could gain. And I I really wish I knew why I don't, I don't know. I also think that carriers being slow to change has an impact on it too. I mean, there's still, people that we've got to fill out like accords, you know, for just to even get a quote. Right. Like, I think that, I think that's part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. They're starting to kind of pick up the pace on that. And there are definitely some carriers out there that are ahead and that have, you know, easy systems to use and all that. But I, I think that it's, it's not just the, on the agent side, I think it's on the carrier side too. And it's, it's starting to change, but those people are uncomfortable um, on the agency side that uh, you know, that we're talking about and they're, they're going to, honestly, they're getting it squeezed out. Craig, I understand there's a lot of consolidation happening in the industry, right? Especially the small and medium businesses. Is that mm-hmm. due to a function of the, the venture capitalist money coming in? Or is it, do you think, a function of people aging out? And the reason I say this... Not aging, both, not from my perspective. To, both? Oh, okay. Yeah, I um, think it's because, both. Mm, because in, uh, one of my other clients here in the, in the Pittsburgh market, they actually, are, you know, they, term, they call it the silver tsunami where they say that the youngest baby boomer in seven years is going to be 65 and they're going to work, work, you know, basically age out of the workforce. And then the next generation is not just not ready or or not equipped or not just not enough of them to fill the workspace. Hmm. So it it is, yeah, it's, it's a generational change. And to your point, actually, you know, about people being comfortable in the zone, what I've seen actually in my peers as well in finance is I use the analogy of uh, sort of Henry Ford, you know, he's, you know he is, one of the quotes he had said is, if I, if I ask people what they wanted, they say, I want a faster horse and not a car. And I see that, you know, in our, my peers, you know, they want more employees, a better qualified employee, a better HR person to hire a qualified employee, right? It's always about the people factor and not realizing that actually you can actually reduce, to your point, David, reduce, spend a little money on automation, then reduce the, your job board, you know, so you don't need that many more people and struggle to get people into this. Um, and I see that, that that people aren't able to sort of switch and say, okay, let's use technology to the benefit because in the long run, I'll, everyone will come out ahead. Yeah, I think I agree. You know, to me, a lot of this seems like really easy problems to solve, to be honest with you. 
I, I just think it, it boils down to the fact, honestly, that the insurance industry is an industry where you can make a lot of money, you know, mm. more than average without mm. having to do a bunch of extra work. And people take advantage of that and they know they can make a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year. They don't kill themselves. They they just do what they need to do to get by and they mm-hmm. maximize their profitability by not in, investing on other things. Right, right. Interesting. No, that is a that is, that is exciting. You know, it's in a way it's a, I saw that last year that the venture capitalists have invested close to six and a half billion dollars. I, I don't know where I saw that uh, into the sort of the insure tech uh, uh, firms. Hmm. Uh, oh yeah, half. that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a lot, right? And I don't know how much <laughs> they will spend this year. Uh, and I'm just interested, you know. See, my different approaches, you know. So where I've been coming at this is, I'm coming at it from a process efficiency, not from a insure tech uh, per se, so to speak. Because at the end of the day, you know, the new new sort of applications coming onto the insurance workspace. Where I see the gap is even like I would work for Oracle, right? We use Oracle as a sort of the uh, accounting system in a long time ago, where they are good at building applications and they, it only does so much. But when you're talking about the whole, pro- when you look at a whole end-to-end process, when you have to uh, use multiple systems, that's where the problem comes in because then it becomes a human-centered process. We are moving data or copying, pasting the information, or you need multiple systems rather, you know. So where I look at it, okay, how do we bridge all the gaps? So this way it makes the whole cycle, you know, sort of fills the whole cycle rather than these, you know, disparate uh, processes to get efficient at. I think whoever figures that out is going to make a lot of money. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah to your point, I mean, 45,000 agents, you know, and if, uh, the thing is, if if... It's just in a handful of those people start looking at processes and saying how that can make it efficient. Who are, by the way, question for you guys. So from a, these agents, right? Who are they competing against in the in the marketplace? How can they grow? I guess a lot of them aren't, man. I mean, that's part of the thing. You know, they're doing just enough to maintain the status quo. Your your new business agencies that are out there have to have a point of differentiation. Sometimes mm. that's tech stack. Sometimes it's risk management services that are offered to commercial clients might be a mobile app where you're able, easily able to, you know, like a glove box or an insurance agent app where you're oh, able okay. to go into one place and get your ID cards and do a home inventory mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that agencies could be doing, but I mean, the truth of the matter is you really, you could still do okay from an earning standpoint if you don't do any of that. So it's a matter of, mm. do you want it to be a lifestyle or do you want it? Do you want to build a growth enterprise? And that's the first question that has to be asked. If the answer is, well, we want a lifestyle agency, then don't change anything. You're going to make a couple hundred thousand bucks a year. You're going to qualify for a few carrier trips and you're going to live mm-hmm. a great life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right, right. Absolutely nothing. Just not the way I'm wired. Because if you tell me I could get 10 million, I'm not going to stop at three. I'm going to go right. until I get 12. Correct. Correct. Now, these agencies actually, so in there is, is to your point as well, is it fair to say then that there's no competition because they're all, it's almost like a duopoly, so to speak. Everybody has a fair share of the market and nobody can be, unless somebody like a queue comes along, they can't gobble them up. There's no threat, well, is it? I think it affects their multiples though. Oh, when they want to sell. Yeah, because if you don't have a good tech stack and your data is not clean, mm-hmm. what are you really selling? Mm, right, right, right. Interesting. What have we not talked about, man? 
No, I have a good idea. I mean, to me, uh, we've covered a lot of the different uh, sort of aspects of the industry. And most of all, that what I've come away from knowing, the uh, coming at least to your point, actually, maybe you make a good point about this, David, meeting you guys is how much, so much more on the cutting edge you guys are compared to sort of the norm, I should say. Um, and really, I'm very proud to actually run into you, your, your sort of group that I, when I did in the One City World Tour. Well, thank you. That's one of the reasons why I go to those things. I feel like if I can stay out front and even if I don't adopt the things that I see that are out there, or other people mm-hmm. are using, it gives me a good idea of the trends that are happening in the industry and some of the decisions that I might be faced with moving forward. Correct. Correct. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I have to be, uh, yeah, I'm proud of that association to at least being now exposed to these things and how you guys do it is, is just amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, listen, if we've got anybody who's listening to this, which I'm sure we do, that wants to reach out and find out more about what you guys are doing, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, the best thing would be their website. It's called blueoceansp.ai. Uh, or just you know, send a note to me uh, via email. Uh, you know, we'll put in the information to you. Uh, and then, you know, we're here to help and support and see how we can make them the best they can be. Awesome. Cool. Sounds good. Well, listen, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. If we don't have anything else we want to bring up, I appreciate you taking time to come on and talk to us today. And I'm Thank looking you. forward to uh, to watching as you continue to sink your, your roots more and more into the insurance industry and see some of the cool things that you are able to, some of the problems you're able to solve and the creative solutions that you need. So I appreciate you making time out of your day to come spend with us. Much appreciated. Thank you, so Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you guys. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I'll talk sure. to you soon. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.